Geekville Radio. Hello, once again, Geeks and Geekettes. This is Seth, a.k.a. Xandrax, the host of Geekville Radio, flying solo for this episode, and I do apologize for that. We've been a bit late. We've had... A lot on the table that we wanted to get out the door and put up for you folks to listen to, but unfortunately, just between schedules and myself and training, it, it hasn't worked out. So what I'm going to do here to make up for that is, while this is going to be a late show, we're going to actually have two or three shows within a quicker amount of time. Here I'm going to fly solo, talk a little bit of news. I'll also talk about the season finales of The Flash, and I'll give my thoughts on the new Snake Eyes movie, Snake Eyes G.I. Joe Origins. And then shortly after this episode is released, uh, Train and I will be around to discuss the season finale of Loki, which aired a little over a week ago as the time, at the time of this recording. So I know some of you have been waiting a while to hear our thoughts about Loki, and we will definitely go into detail with that, when, and we'll give our predictions for what we think is going to happen in the MCU. But that'll be the next episode, not this one. I'll just be here to talk about The Flash, and freshly released in the theaters, G.I. Joe movie Snake Eyes. But first, we're going to talk a little bit of news. If anybody remembers the Silverhawks in the 1980s, they were released a little bit after, probably a year after, Thundercats hit. And, of course, the Thundercats were, were a huge hit. I want to say you know, 85, maybe 86. And then the, the Silverhawks came shortly after that. And they were kind of like Thundercats in space. And I was... Between the two, I was just a bigger fan of Silverhawks. I watched them. I remember the characters and such. But me being more of a sci-fi guy than a fantasy guy, I just thought Silverhawks were, were cooler. So anyway, there is a Silverhawks reboot in the works. I did put this link up at geekwellradio.com slash 290. And what it says is uh, the Nacelle Company, which has produced several documentary series for Netflix, will revive the 80s cult classic animated series Silverhawks. Deadline reports that Nacelle, and I hope I'm saying that right, has partnered with Super 7 to produce the new animated series. Super 7 acquired the rights to Silverhawks back in January and has previously announced that a new action figure line is in the works. Silverhawks was an animated series created by Rankin Bass and aired in 1986. It was compared to another Rankin-Bass creation, Thundercats, but with an outer space sci-fi setting. While it didn't see the success of its fantasy counterpart, Silverhawks did have a bit of a cult following. No date, network, or cast has been announced as of yet. And I think anybody that knows me when I say Silverhawks, what I liked about it is, sure, the outfits were cool, and the whole idea of like cab drivers in space and things like that, that was all cool, but what I liked the most was the dusty character because here's a space cowboy right down to the cowboy hat and his guitar is also his gun so he can play the guitar but he can also shoot explosive notes out of it that has me at hello if they keep that i'll be happy so i'm assuming it's probably going to be a year or two before we hear or see anything as far as an air date or network since the Cell Company has done stuff already for Netflix. I'm assuming that will mean it will be on Netflix as well. Kind of like the new He-Man, which I'll uh, give my thoughts on that after I watch a few episodes. But I just thought it was kind of interesting that of all the things to reboot, uh, we'd get 
Silverhawks. Personally, I'd like to see a Silverhawks uh, Brave Star crossover because that would fit very well going in with the whole Space Western thing. But moving on, this is a bit of, of more of a mainstream thing, but it does have to do with video games. Netflix will look to be adding video games to their library as well as movies. This is being reported by Bloomberg. And once again, I'll have the link at geekvilleradio.com slash 290. It was also picked up by IGN. Netflix has hired Mike Verdo as the vice president of game development. Now, for those of you who don't know video games, he did the Command & Conquer games, but he was listed as a producer for that. So if you've heard of the Command & Conquer games, that's one of the big names on his resume. It looks like the games will primarily be mobile at the start, so something for your tablet or your phone. And I'm assuming that these are not games that you can download separately in stores. It sounds like it's going to be something similar to if you're going to watch a movie on your tablet, you can download that usually through Netflix, because I, I don't think you can truly just play a game streaming online. Maybe you can, but I would think it's one of those things you would download it and just play it through the Netflix app. And it'll be interesting to see what the titles are. Are we going to get exclusive games? Are we going to get big-name games? Are they going to be glorified demos? You know, Will these be stuff you have to purchase the full game? Are we going to get a game to the level of a Command & Conquer or something like that on a Netflix platform? And if so, I mean, that's going to be a lot of space on your tablet. It's going to be a lot of size to take up. The Bloomberg article states the idea is to offer video games on a Netflix streaming platform within the next year. So looks like by summer of 2022. According to a person familiar with the situation, the games will appear alongside current fare as new programming genres similar to what Netflix did with documentaries or stand-up specials. The company doesn't currently plan to charge extra for the contents, so that's good to know that apparently this is not going to be any additional cost to a monthly Netflix membership, and apparently did a little bit boost to the stock. At the time this article was written, it looks like the stock was going for 563 bucks a pop, and I think it's a pretty big thing. Not necessarily that uh, this individually by itself, I like that it's not going to jack up any costs, because uh, when I first thought of this, and I heard it was going to happen, I thought, okay, is this going to be a separate service, or is this going to be all-in-one? Will it be a couple extra bucks for the game? But it looks like this is all going to be for that thirteen ninety-nine. I just remember that last time Netflix started offering exclusive content, their subscription skyrocketed, and then everybody else got their own streaming services and took out old content out of Netflix. So I can't help but think that in a couple of years, all the video game platforms are going to have their own streaming services, and we're all going to be shelling out 50 bucks a month just to have access to all the games that we want. And I'm being a little bit facetious when I say that, of course, but who knows what will happen. I guess it's not too terribly surprising that in the long run that a video game streaming service is something that could happen, and I guess we will see where it goes. As far as MCU rumors, we know that there are three series coming out by year's end obviously next up we're going to get what if that's going to be animated then we're going to get hawkeye and then miss marvel out of those three probably the what if is what i'm the most interested in because i've read several issues of the what if series they're all kind of anthology titles meaning all the stories are self-contained but this will deal specifically with mcu stories the first one will be uh, what if the super soldier serum didn't work on Steve Rogers and he didn't become Captain America? Instead, Peggy Carter took it and becomes 
Captain Britain or Captain Carter, and it's her helping win World War II instead of Captain America. But there's also a rumor out there that she may make an appearance as Captain Carter in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness next year. So it, it'll be interesting to see how much of an effect this what-if universe, if you want to call it that, will have. Obviously, with all the multiverses coming along, there's room to have these kind of offshoot stories. And DC's been doing their multiverse as well. Everybody seems to like the Flashpoint Batman of Thomas Wayne. But it does make me wonder, are we going to get a cameo of Haley at, well, just as Captain Carter or Captain Britain? And also regarding future shows, this is moving on to more Disney Plus content. Uh, Amelia Clark, probably best known for Game of Thrones, obviously she's got a lot of geek cred with the one of the Terminator reboots. She was in Solo. She has been cast in Secret Invasion. And this is an MSN.com story that I once again link in, link in the show notes, geekvilleradio.com slash 290. And basically in short, she's confirming that she is in Secret Invasion and not really saying anything more than that. Obviously, they're not going to spill too many beans Ahead of time, there's obviously there's the NDA, the non-disclosure agreements. This is just my thought. This is just my knee-jerk reaction. I'm not reporting this as fact. I'm not a reporter or anything like that. But the Secret Invasion storyline that happened, what, 2007, 2008, maybe 2009, it was scrolls morphing into some well-known Marvel heroes and infiltrating all the hero teams and then basically essentially becoming evil versions of the the heroes and one of the ones that was a catalyst in that was the scroll version of spider-woman jessica drew so that's my hunch that's what i think amelia clark's going to be she's going to be spider-woman jessica drew uh, we'll talk more about this when train is back uh, especially when we talk about low-key because there's going to be a lot of fallout uh, with that and regarding all the series I, i've said it before that I think one of the reasons why we're not getting these nine-picture deals that guys like Chris Evans or Robert Downey Jr. were signing is because Marvel has the freedom to do these six- or eight-episode TV shows, and that translates to, what, like two or three movies uh, worth of material? They can flesh out these characters in their own series rather than have to worry about making a movie or two about them, and then they can just concentrate on having the really big stuff on the theatrical films and then if people want to dive into solo adventures of characters like moon knight they can do so and it's probably a lot less of a risk to do that than to try to do a full-blown moon knight movie we keep the biggest stuff in theaters and i think that covers most of the news here so i'm going to take a quick break and when i come back we're going to talk about the season finale of the flash this is geekville radio and we'll be right back are you looking for a gaming-themed podcast? Then check out You Just Got Fragged. Join host Jared Aubrey and his panel of gaming enthusiasts as they discuss news and accomplishments in the gaming world and, of course, the gripe of the week. That's all at YouJustGotFragged.com, part of the Wrestling Brethren podcast family. All right, we are back. We're going to talk the Season 7 finale of The Flash, which aired a couple days ago as of this recording. And obviously, spoiler alerts, spoiler alerts, spoiler has been breached, spoiler has been breached. The main news that came out of this is we did get 
a brief return of Carlos Valdez as Cisco and Tom Cavanaugh as, well, he wasn't Wells. He was the Eobard Thawne version of Wells. He was not back as the previous Wells because, well, the, all the Wells are kind of dead. But we did get the Flash family reunion, minus Wally. We did get Impulse, which in this season of The Flash, somehow Excess and Impulse are both Barry's children. When really in the comics, uh, they are from farther into the future, and they were cousins, not siblings. I think they were, like, I don't know, at least Impulse, I think, was around that uh, Legion of Superheroes in 30th century era stuff. Because they did actually read Impulse a little bit in the mid-90s, because he was a pretty much a brand new character around then, and, and I was enjoying it, but... Like I said, he's, he's more like around the year 3000 rather than the next generation of Allens. And regarding season seven, this season really did have its its peaks and valleys. I like the character of Godspeed. I didn't re- really read him in the comics, but I thought it was kind of cool. It's a cool name, but there's only so far you can go with more speedsters. And I get that. One of the criticisms of The Flash has always been, well, everybody heroes and villains all they do is is run fast and i think what they've been trying to do is expand out some of the powers and while godspeed was a cool villain the clone army was uh, a bit out there especially when there were like 20 guys uh, all in the same outfits just doing this big battle royal you know, just a, a battle royal of guys all in white costumes but in the final act of the story you had godspeed barry and thawn reverse flash all with these kind of lightning bolt swords like lightning bolt lightsabers like lightsabers taken out of the speed force or something and it's like okay well somehow they have the ability to make lightsabers this is new and then they have this three-way dance like something out of phantom menace i always got this kind of obi-wan qui-gon Jinn, and darth maul vibe that, that was pretty hokey and it, it just seemed kind of like they were trying too hard to come up with something new it just somehow having lightning swords just seemed pretty hokey. But we'll see if things improve. We know we're getting a season eight. There are rumors that Grant Gustin himself may, might leave the show after season eight, if the show continues after that. And if we get a full season for season eight, which I think we will, it will mean that Flash will have officially had more episodes and had, will have had a longer run than Arrow. And plus, with Wells and Cisco not being around, they were really cool characters, whatever version of Wells there was. And Cisco, I think, really was kind of the clue that held everything together for Team Flash. And Carlos Vettelis plays that character so well. And I like the Chester character. I'm not up to speed with him, no pun intended, in DC, as Marvel is, tend to be the, the company I know the most about. And maybe there'll be an improvement, but it really does seem like the best days of the Flash are behind us now, rather than in front. And if you go back a few years in our archives, I was looking forward to Flash more than any other series in the Arrowverse. And now that's kind of gone to Legends of Tomorrow just because of how off the wall that show can get. I think it's kind of become the gimmick is that it's this juxtaposition of all these goofy elements. And one one episode, they're a Western, another one, they're in outer space. And then another one, they might be doing a sitcom, stuff like that. And with the time travel element and meeting different characters and such, I, I guess I just means I, I've been waiting more for Legends lately than the other shows. But uh, as far as a grade for the season, I guess I'd probably give it a, a, a C plus, maybe even just a solid C. There's, like I said before, definitely some peaks, peaks and valleys. There's some episodes that really just almost felt like a chore to get through. And obviously nobody likes that in their superhero stuff. Hopefully things will get better in season eight. That's my two cents on The Flash. 
I'm going to take a quick break, and when I come back, we're going to dive into Snake Eyes, kind of a brain dump, because when I record it, I will have kind of been fresh back from the theater watching it and won't have anything well prepared as far as what to talk about. So one more break, and then we will come back and uh, round out the show talking Snake Eyes. Attention all time lords and ladies. This message is being sent by Lady President Romana and the High Council of Gallifrey. Geekville Radio presents Examining the Doctor. Join Mark and Seth as they bring their signature blend of knowledge and humor about everybody's favorite time lord, the Doctor. From Hartnell to Whitaker, Examining the Doctor provides episode commentaries for favorite and not so favorite Doctor Who stories. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, GeekgoRadio.com, or wherever podcasts can be found. All right, we are back. And as I said at the top of the show, this part is just going to kind of be fresh, raw, out-of-the-theater thoughts on Snake Eyes, G.I. Joe Origins, literally just sitting down to record this part of the show after seeing the film. I took a few notes while I was in the theater, and one of the things I thought that was kind of cool was that Henry Golding himself kicked off the show, kicked off the movie with kind of a thank you message uh, to fans. He was doing it totally as himself, out of character. It was just a pre-recorded message saying it was great to make the movie, he's happy it's released, and now everybody can go see it. I thought it was a nice touch that kind of going that little extra mile to thank the fans for coming out and to see that in a theater. And when we, before we dive into the movie, I do want to talk the Snake Eyes origin as far as how it was in the comics. I've done this before, so I'll be brief, because we really didn't get an origin in the animated series. It was just Snake Eyes. But in short, you cannot do a truly accurate Snake Eyes origin in 2021. You know, and not just because G.I. Joe was a product of the 80s, at least the action figures and the cartoon series and the comics, but the cartoon was just kind of a, what would you call it, a cookie cutter. There really weren't too many ongoing stories. There were some, but usually you had the multi-part episodes to begin the season with, and everything else was just kind of the Cobra plot of the day episodes. That's just how a lot of cartoons were in the 80s. But as far as the comics go, we did get a Snake Eyes origin, and that's that Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow, or Tommy Rashikage, or Tommy for short, and Stalker were all Vietnam vets uh, in the, the same unit in Vietnam. They were really the only guys that survived their unit intact. And after leaving Vietnam, Snake Eyes accompanied Storm Shadow, uh, or then Tommy, uh, to join his ninja clan. Because that's one of the biggest things you can't do these days. There is no Vietnam. I mean, I suppose you could try to to have done it with Afghanistan or Iraq or something like that, but I don't think it would have had the same weight to it that Vietnam did as far as that that era and its lasting impact going well into the 80s and probably the end of the, the century, really. So they went the route that they did. I think that's why just kind of being that Snake Eyes was not really this outlaw, but they did depict him as being a pit fighter, already had some fighting skills, not really anything in the military. But like you see in the trailers, he basically stay, saves Tommy's life, and Tommy brings him to Japan to join his ninja clan. They got that part right. But the movie starts out with kid Snake Eyes seeing his father get killed by somebody. I, I just assumed it was going to be Zartan, but it, but it wasn't. It looked like it was just a mercenary. Turns out he worked for Cobra. I don't know if it was supposed to be anybody in particular, but if he was supposed to be Zartan, there was no disguise. So I just think he was just kind of a nameless mercenary. But in the comics, Zartan killed the hardmaster of the Arashikage clan, and Storm Shadow or Tommy got, 
got blamed for it. That's the setup of Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow being on opposite sides. In the movie, the head of the clan is Tommy's grandmother. And then there's another part of the family who I, uh, the character was Kenta, I believe. He hires Snake Eyes to essentially infiltrate the clan to spy on, on Tommy and the clan. So when Snake Eyes saved Tommy's life, he didn't do it out of goodness. He did it because he was hired to infiltrate the clan. It was all kind of a ruse, so to speak. So that's pretty key to the plot there. But, but Snake Eyes works his way up. They kind of have their brothers in arms or maybe brothers in swords, whichever you want to call it. And about halfway through the movie, that's when Snake Eyes starts realizing that there's this terrorist organization named Cobra involved. And that's where Baroness shows up. That's where we see Scarlet. It's like halfway through the movie before we see Scarlet and Baroness. And they're as far as screen time, they're barely in it. They're probably only in it for a few minutes each. Baroness looks kind of like an evil librarian. I'm not saying that as a positive or negative. It was just kind of my knee-jerk reaction as far as her look. And I know that some of the criticisms about the movie coming from the geek community was that Snake Eyes was a white guy and that he was American and he was the only American that was allowed into, into the clan. And in this movie, Snake Eyes is Asian, played by Henry Golding. So while what I will say, though, is while the character is Asian, he's clearly American because he's kind of a fish out of water in Japan doesn't really know how ninja clans work or, or anything like that. He was just an American guy with Asian heritage. So if that eases some of the fears, so to speak, as far as changing the characters, there there is that. So I thought it was fine because I do think Snake Eyes being American is key to the character you know, because he was an outsider to this ninja clan. That I think that's really is key to his character. Now, granted, he had all the military training and knew all the firearms and such. He, he was a hell of a soldier before becoming a ninja, and that's why he was able to do both. That's why you have this ninja that's also firing automatic weapons. That was a, he was a soldier first, then became the ninja. And plus, in the movie, Snake Eyes clearly speaks with an American accent. Because the Scarlet's introduced about halfway through. They make her a major instead of the sergeant that she is uh, in the comics. And I think she was also part of the original lineup back in 82. But anyway... The, the military ranks have changed so much with the characters over the years. I'm not even sure which one would be the most realistic. They did depict Scarlet and Baroness as being opposites, which I think does kind of fit. They they really were the respective intelligence personnel for their group. Scarlet was intelligence for G.I. Joe. Baroness was intelligence for Cobra and was a spy uh, in her own right. Now, as far as hokiness and goofy scenes there was a scene with actual giant snakes that was really wacky might might scare little kids because these snakes are pretty much the size of just about any giant snake in any movie you've seen other than that i think the biggest problem i had with it is it was in the clan itself that the hard master was a young guy and in the classic depiction the hard master was the head of the clan and was an old guy 70, 80-year-old Japanese guy. And maybe they went that route to get away from stereotypes because how many times have we seen a movie or a show that has the old, ancient Asian guy that is wise and still kicks the crap out of everybody? Maybe they just wanted to avoid that cliche. That's just my my thought, my hypothesis. I, I don't know for sure. But the hard master starts the initial training of Snake Eyes, and I, I thought this scene was 
pretty cool. They each take a bowl of water, and Snake Eyes is supposed to take the bowl of water from the Hardmaster without spilling it. And that, that was the test. So they do kind of the cliched fightings and spins without spilling the water, only Snake Eyes is always the one that spills it. And then Snake Eyes realizes, wait a minute, we're being taught humility and selflessness is the key. So why are we fighting over it? Uh, so rather than do these fights that we see in all the martial arts movies from the UHF channels we saw in the middays and Sundays in the 80s, the jumping and kicking and flipping around, after he fails miserably at that, he gets up and basically says, okay, well, I humbly ask to exchange my bowl for yours. And that's the solution, humility and selflessness. He politely asks the favor of exchanging bowls, and that's how he passed the test. Now, the rest of the movie, I don't want to give away the ending. I don't want to give too heavy a spoilers, because I do think people should go out and see this. If you liked the previous movies, if you liked Rise of Cobra and Retaliation, you'll probably like this movie. I, I did see the reviews that this was like a 1980s movie in 2021. I, I think that assessment is fair, because uh, at the end of the first act, Snake Eyes and Tommy are escaping in this truck and there's like 20 or 30 katanas that all just get pushed through the cab of the truck and obviously they don't get stabbed but you see this truck barreling down with all these sword hilts sticking out of it from them trying people trying to impale them with swords and it, it does look goofy i think it's supposed to look funny and really i did enjoy them and really i did enjoy the movie overall i didn't re regret going i did go on the matinee so i did get the the bargain price there is a, a hokey thing about a gem or a jewel that has this mystical powers, but stuff like that's all over the cartoons, so it didn't really bug me that much. Really, other than the giant snakes, I think the only other thing that might have made this a PG-13 was Baroness gives an F-bomb uh, at one point during the movie. But there's enough lore being put down here that there can be more movies made. Henry Golding himself said that they probably have at least three movies just coming out of this one that they could do. Maybe they'll do a Scarlet Origins. There definitely could be a sequel because Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow, they always seem to wind up on opposite ends of each other. So there's another sequel that could be done there. They're kind of frenemies, so to speak. And I was actually kind of surprised, given that there was Baroness, there was no Destro. Because usually wherever Baroness is, Destro is. And there really wasn't any G.I. Joe representation outside of Scarlet. She was pretty much the only Joe presence in it. There is a mid-credits scene. There's nothing after the end of the credits, but there is a mid-credits scene. And I think it's actually made it into the trailers. So if you're clever uh, about the trailers that you watch, you probably already have seen the mid-credits sequence. I give it, as far as a letter grade, give it a C+, maybe even a B-. It's, it's G.I. Joe. There's, there's going to be a level of hokiness to it. We're, we're not going to get Saving Private Ryan or The Dirty Dozen with G.I. Joe. You just can't expect a five-star classic movie. This is coming from somebody who loved G.I. Joe growing up. But I think that's going to wrap it up for my review. Like I said, this is just kind of a raw from the theater thoughts. I know I kind of got things kind of smooshed together. Not really as organized as I probably could have been if I actually wrote and written everything down. But I wanted to give you my first impression thoughts while they were still in my head. But like I said at the top of the show, we will be back soon. We'll be back sooner rather than later. Train and I are going to talk Loki. We're going to talk the future of the MCU, our predictions. That just seemed to be a subject we like to talk about here 
on Geekville Radio with the MCU. And if you're listening to us for the first time, we can be found at Geekville Radio, the podcast player of your choosing. We're all over where podcasts can be found. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, you name it. You can respond to all of our posts at geekvilleradio.com. And the Facebook and Twitter are Geekville Radio. You can get us a hold of us as well there. Give us a review. Let us know what we're doing. Let us know what we could do better. Drops a line on social media. Let us know if there's anything you want us to talk about. Give us a follow on all the social medias. With that, I'm going to shut down the power here in the Geekville Radio studio. And we will be back soon to talk Loki and the future of the MCU. Thanks for listening. Geekville Radio is not sponsored or endorsed by any product or company unless specifically stated. The views expressed by the host and or guests are purely their own and do not represent the views of geekvilleradio.com, a1-wrestling.com, or any affiliates. Some media used on Geekville Radio is the respective copyright of its publishers, all rights reserved.